Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's a joy about turning 50, which is you kind of don't give a shit. I really don't give a shit. Hello and welcome to season four of Beautiful Lives. I'm releasing this in such a difficult period of uncertainty globally, so I hope that wherever you are in the world while listening to this, that you and your loved ones are well, that you're as happy as can be given the situation, and that, like me, you're washing your hands an awful lot. I'm sending these episodes out into the world with the hope that they might divert you for a little bit. That's certainly my aim, and I'm joined this season by a stellar roster of guests with really intriguing life stories, so fingers crossed you'll find yourself entertained and maybe uplifted by them. First up, the utterly charming Trini Woodall. I suspect she'll need a little introduction, but here's a little rundown of some of the quite extraordinary things she's done. Trini ventured into the public eye with Susanna Constantine, with whom she wrote a weekly column in The Telegraph. TV soon came knocking and the pair hosted the hugely popular What Not To Wear, went on to co-author 11 fashion advice books and appeared on huge shows worldwide. Trini started her makeup range, Trini London, in 2017 after deciding that her way of decanting and carrying products would be helpful to many others and the brand has been a runaway success. In this episode, we talk about that journey as well as some of the life challenges that sat alongside that career like having IVF and managing addiction and of course talk about Trini's beauty battles and triumphs including acne and learning to loathe fake tan. Here's Trini. Hi, Trini. Hello, my dear. Hello, welcome. You're one of six children. Yes, I am. Youngest of. Youngest of. So tell me what the environment in your house was like and were there any twinges of covetousness when it came to beauty and fashion when you were young? Well, although there's six, there were two marriages. So the older three I didn't see so much. But they did have, one of them had a very profound beauty influence on one range I still love. So I'll include her. Um, The other one put me off orange lipsticks for life. And my sister, who's my real sister, not half-sister and four years older than me, never had spots. And I had really bad acne. So, So that was, those are probably the things that I would list as the elements that had um, aspects of influence from or to my siblings. Comparison is quite hard with siblings, isn't it? Because you know that you come from the same place and yet if they Mm -hmm. have something that you don't have or vice versa, it can be quite stressful. Yeah, and my mother never had a spot in her life. Oh, really? Either. And my mother was a woman who I introduced to Yves Long Cleanser at age 60. She didn't really have a routine. She was Scottish. She had quite, you know, she's still alive, my mum, but she speaking of her journey as that kind of woman, she had freckles and burns very easily in the sun. So she kind of didn't wear much makeup at all and would just throw on a sort of probably a number seven moisturizer. Mm -hmm. And she would always have a number seven lipstick and still, now she hardly wears anything. Um, but she still would have a hint of that slightly orange getting on her teeth a bit. I never, ever have a memory of sitting in the bathroom with my mother watching her do my ma- doing her makeup or skin care routine, whereas Lila probably has too many of those. <laughs> but I never did, and, I, and I, I grew up, I went very early on to boarding school, so 
I really was not spending a huge amount of the year with my mother because mm. in the holidays, some of them, she didn't, I didn't see her necessarily. So I would stay with my grandmother, which was her mother, who never wore an inch of makeup or did a skincare routine in her entire life. So there was nothing there. And what about fashion then? My father mm. probably was far vainer than my mother in a lovely, elegant, British gentleman peacock way, you know, and he dressed beautifully and he had a vanity with his hair. He had very thick hair, beautiful hair, very handsome man when he was younger and also as a, as a man older when I knew him better and took pride on how he dressed. Um, so he'd like to, you know, he'd like the, the, the certain type of cotton for his shirts and, you know, he was quite specific... Uh, colours were very important to him that went with each other. So I think I got that from him and he was very careful with his clothes. My mother would always have a pile of clothes on the chaise lounge in her bedroom. I'd always remember that going in and my father would have everything. And I always remember, actually, I think my father, I always felt had more wardrobe space than my mother. I don't know if that was correct, but I remember he always had a dressing room, whereas my mother had the cupboards in the bedroom. Tell me about cutting off another people's plaid. It always gets, it always gets into this five. little research thing, doesn't yeah. it? I think it was a story blown a bit out of proportion, but I do remember its occurrence. And I was, I had some to do with this girl and we were in needlework. And I don't know how it quite occurred, but she had a very thin little plaid and I just nipped it in the neck. Um, not in her neck, but I just nipped, nipped the plait, and anyway, it came off, and I was sent home. And um, my dad was there with a man called Frank Lauder, who wrote the Centrinians um, things, and so then they sort of thought, that's quite funny, you sound just like these girls from Centrinians. So I was called Trini, and then mm-hmm. I went to, very soon afterwards, no, I don't think, totally related, I was sent to boarding school at six and a half, so mm-hmm. this happened when I was probably about six, or five and a half. And was boarding school for you? Did it have quite a sororal atmosphere? Were you someone who was taken into this bosom of women being together and girls being together and being girlish? My first boarding school should have been shut down for cruelty many years before it was shut down. It was a terrible school, really. My sister ran away three times before my parents realised how unhappy we were there. And they they were unbelievably strict in ways that affected me probably as I grew up as an adult Mm -hmm. um, in certain things. And just really, I, I have no, I don't have one single nice memory of that school. I remember always never doing where my, like where my sister ran away, she was kind of found on the road, put in the sand, and they wouldn't tell me where she was. So I would have days of wandering around school thinking, where's my sister? You know, things like that. So not just discipline, like active kind of cruelty, just like emotional very, cruelty. Very cruel. My sister and I both found it a, a, an appalling school, and she was there longer than me because she's older. So, you know, that school I don't don't have any good memories from Mm. but um i then went uh, and i was homeschooled a bit and then i went about 11 no 10 to a boarding school my sister was at which then my sister was like the naughtiest girl in the school very popular and i felt in her in her you know all the teachers would say susan instead of sarah jane because they would think i'd be like my sister and then all the girls would expect me to be funny and naughty and i was just kind of probably boring and, and conservative So it wasn't a win situation. And then when she left, Mm. I found myself a bit more and the last two years were fine. Yeah, so she cast Mm. quite a long shadow then. It's quite hard to live up to that, isn't it? I didn't resent her for it at all. I just felt less than. Is this a sister who didn't have any spots? 
Yeah. So then, <laughs> so then you, in your teenage years, I assume, started Appalling, to get spotted. Like 13. I remember, I remember um, I'd had my ears pierced. I don't want my daughter listen to this because I told her I didn't have them pierced till 16 because I didn't let her have them pierced till she was... Anyway, I had them pierced pretty young. I think I had them pierced at 14. And spots started to appear. So all my friends were getting nice earrings and then I just started to get these spots. And I remember they just kept coming and my friends had them, but intermittently or when they had their period and they were just always there and I would hate them and I'd pick them and then I know I shouldn't pick them and I had that whole cycle of picking. And then over the years, my mother, you know, after I complained incessantly... For years, she then said, OK, I'll take you to see a dermatologist. Because for her, it was something she didn't get her head around. It wasn't so... Did that clear it up then? No. So I then went to... And I was put on tetracycline for about two years. That didn't work. Then I was put on minocin for another two years. Then I was put on Dianet. And they just... None of them helped. And then I remember seeing this... Um, and I always felt it was connected to my skin, to my what I ate and other things, because I'd feel... I ate a lot of sugar. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I just had very permanently inflamed skin. But I remember seeing this. My mother took me to this very old friend, old-fashioned dermatologist in Harley Street called Dr. Gold. Mm. And he was about 90 at the time. And I remember he had this flaky scalp. And I just got, kept thinking, you're a dermatologist, but you have all this white flake on your black jacket. And he said, I said, I'm sure it's something to do with what I eat. He said, got nothing to do with what you eat, nothing to do with this. You don't know what you're talking about. Here are the pills. And they didn't work. And I remember just... I, th- I remember thinking at the time this man should be retired. Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen. And then... In my 20s, it continued. And then finally, when I was about 25, I then was in a job. And then I'd heard about Rakuten. And I went to see, and I had it. And I could only afford three months' supply because it was, it was like £600 a month. It was some so expensive. Mm. And, no, I first had it on the National Health. And not for long enough. Mm. And then it came back, and then I did it myself. And I remember how expensive it was. Did you have any adverse effects? You get very dry mouth. Okay. You don't. You know, my hair was greasy. I never had it greasy again since. Um, you don't exercise that much because, you, and I wasn't exercising that much at the time anyway. It wasn't the fashion to. Mm-hmm. And I got quite. My knees felt old. Okay. Yeah, and you couldn't go in the sun because you burn easily. During your time, your period of having acne, were you someone who would cover them and use loads of products to try to get rid of it, or did you just not really bother? No, I, I did. I, I had a very, very incestuous relationship with fake tan. And it started with Boots Number 7 Mousse. And it was this smelly, moussey thing that was already a colour when it came out. And I remember I started using it at about 14. And then I, you kind of, it was a foam and I put it on with this sponge, which I never cleaned uh, on my body. Immediate colour and then it deepened. Always everywhere. I mean, it was disastrous. And then I got to a stage at 16 where I was, I was... 16, 17, I was a Deb mm-hmm. and you'd always like, this is like so many years ago and you kind of like, the first thing was you go and stay with friends in the country and then you have the cocktail, all that kind of stuff so when I was doing staying with the friends in the country and going from house party to house party the parents would call up my mother and say can she bring her own sheets so it was like the Turin shroud it was like I used to do that too. I did a lot of fake tan, and my friend's mum always used to say, "It's so annoying when Madeleine stays because I have to wash your shoes <laughs> afterwards and something to get it out." So, and we look back now, we think mortified. And also, you yeah. don't wear fake tan now. I don't wear it now, no. and no. I, I mean, I have a abject. I, I can't bear it now. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I find it when I have somebody who I do makeup on, and they wear a lot of fake tan. I see the stain in their forehead, and I see underneath like a little archaeologist what great skin they have and it's like they've it's been so long since they had a relationship to see their skin they don't realize 
they're just taking away every element of what how not lovely their skin is. When you were a teenager, if I said what other products were in your arsenal, what were you into? What would you say? I remember very clearly. I had this conversation because. Um, with somebody the other day sorry mm. I was moving my chair mm. um, and when I was 14 or 15 15 my mum let me go to New York because I'd done okay in my exams and I'd usually done very badly and I stayed with my godmother and she took me to Lord and Taylor on Fifth Avenue and I bought Clinique Three Step mm-hmm. and it had not come out in England it was that long ago mm. but it was so revolutionary because you know usually there was one product and you bought that and this was this thing that you slid and it said what skin do you have and you Mm -hmm. it was the Mm -hmm. first element ever in skincare of some personalization Mm -hmm. and I was like oh and I bought the soap and then I bought the toning lotion which now is the Caroline Hyrons's kind of you know acidic number 17 paint stripper one Mm -hmm. um, with a lot of acids in it. Is it the purple one you use? Yeah. That's one I used as well when I had acne and I used it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And a little bit strip strip strip. And then dramatically different moisturising which is too oily at the time. So that was my first big one. Mm. Then at 20 I had a huge relationship obsessive spent half my salary on Erno Laszlo. I remember I was probably earning um, I was living at home still, or mm. maybe I wasn't even then, and I was earning maybe eighteen thousand pounds a year, mm-hmm. sixteen thousand pounds a year even, and I would spend two hundred pounds a month building up my skincare arsenal. Mm-hmm. So I bought the black soap, I bought the prepping lotion. They were very interesting because that was the first ever brand I come across that had the concept of this layering mm-hmm. and they had this amazing like sort of water and pigment mixed together with something else that you sort of put on and it it just I felt it was the first time I'd ever tried something that was selling itself as skincare but slightly covered my spots so it wasn't like Clearasil just kill your spot but dry out everything this was something a bit different so I, I love the concept and and, the, and I remember things from certain brands like the face splashing splash your face 40 times with, with the thing and that, that just stayed with me mm-hmm. Mm. that little element of that were you into fitness and health I mean you said you ate a lot of sugar at that point so I'm wondering if that was if your body was something that was challenging to you in your teenage years Um, I ate like a pig ate lots of sugar would try me on the off games list on every single opportunity I developed this hacking cough I would take to the matron and and just for I would games again I remember I managed to do a whole term of no lacrosse with that cough Mm -hmm. um so I know I never liked sport and I ate a lot and I was probably the skinniest girl in the year I was that kind of metabolism Mm -hmm. I very speedy metabolism in 1984 you started working in marketing yes I'm wondering if it was all shoulder pads and blue eyeshadow and whether you did all of that it was shoulder pads definitely Mm. because I remember buying a second hand Ungaro blazer from some shop in Montpellier Street and it was that 80s you know it was two years old but I felt oh my god and um it wasn't blue eyeshadow I don't think I ever did blue eyeshadow but I did Miss Selfridge frosted frosted pink lip gloss for sure (laughs) definitely that was like probably 79 to 82 Punk was happening as well in the late mm-hmm. 70s, early 80s. So there were two different things going on. There was sort of that cool punk rocker, black eyeliner moment. And then there was the kind of dynasty, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like I hovered between the two probably. Did you? I never went punk punk. Right. But I did that black eyeliner a bit. But I think because I've always had big lips, I did the frosty pink lip yeah. lipstick a lot. That felt like a really big period for music. So was there someone that you looked up to and wanted to be like at that point? I think a lot of women thought Debbie Harry was unbelievably sexy, you know, because she was cool and sexy, you know, 
Annie Lennox was a little androgynous. Jeanette O'Connor was like the best skin. We could never, ever have it. But mm-hmm. she had this raw look about her, which was a yeah. little bit too unfeminine. Um, the rest of the people weren't, were just too much. You mm-hmm. know, there was too much going on, too much hair, too much makeup. And it, but I thought Debbie Harry was still that pear, that blonde, ice blonde cool. Yeah, and she is just so cool, isn't She's she? so cool. You stayed in marketing for 10 years, is that right? Not really. I did, I did start in finance a bit and I did commodities and then I did marketing a tiny bit. So I just did, I did PR for the Barclay Hotel like mm-hmm. in 82 and then I did financial PR and then I started working with Suze, well no, then I, sorry, this is 92. Mm-hmm. And then I went, so I think probably from finance and a bit of marketing stuff I did for about six years, yeah. Then you started writing the column. It was something that I had done all my life. I've made over friends. So, mm-hmm. like, at boarding school, there were a lot of girls who stayed behind during the weekend. So we'd make, I'd make over the girls, and mm-hmm. I'd bring things back from Europe because I lived in Europe and not in England, so I brought back things. A friend of mine lived in Italy, and she brought back Benetton, which we didn't have. So I always loved to kind of judge the hair, change the makeup, do it. So that was my favourite thing. And then when I started in finance, I was one girl with many men, so I would go and get suits made and change buttons and try and adapt and make things look better. Mm-hmm. And I was on a very small budget. And and then when I got to being in the Telegraph, that transition was I had kind of stopped working for a year. I then thought, what am I going to do next? I started a bit in financial PR and I thought, I'm, I'm not happy. What do I love doing? And consistently through all those different jobs, I'd always had girls in my bathroom. They'd always seen what things I was buying for skincare because anyone who's had spots, you've had spots, you're obsessed with products and you start looking at the inky list at the back and the ingredients and seeing what's in those and what's the most active thing. So I started to do that quite early on. So I would sort of give skincare routines to my girlfriends in the bathroom and things. Mm -hmm. And then in the wardrobe too. So I had thought for a while I wanted to do something where everything was available immediately and in clothing probably more than in makeup mm-hmm. you kind of have a lot of people who like warehouse or somebody inexpensive would make something up for Vogue but they'd never put it into manufacturing so you had this frustration you'd see things in big magazines you'd go to the store and they were never there mm-hmm. and I wanted to have a column where everything was there available and also that it would fit me and it would be normal mm-hmm. so I then told Susanna the idea. We met through a friend and she said, can I steal the idea? And I went, you can't steal the idea. We can do it together. And then we had a lucky break and the Telegraph came along and Susanna had done something with them. And then they said, okay, you can do the column. And then Mm -hmm. we did seven years with the column and that started really, you know, everything. 90s beauty and fashion was also quite a moment. What were you into in the 90s? Um, I think I've never totally followed trends, you know, because... I have a body shape, which maybe, you know, the sort of bodycon dress I wasn't into because I didn't feel I had shape for it. Suzanne used to do that. And I would just do things slightly out of field. Like, I, I've always loved dress over trousers, so I was buying a lot of dosa from L.A., and I was loving that kind of layered look. Um, I didn't wear black very often because I never have, so I was always experimenting with colours. Um, I love trouser suits. I would always be in trousers and Susanna would always be in a dress. So in a way, our fashion was slightly dictated by our body shapes and, mm-hmm. and what we presented to people. So, Did you do the trouser suit without a top underneath? Like yeah, I did that. I so did that. I have a picture of Susanna at a premiere yeah. in exactly that look with some really weird hair. Yeah. Hair was always like, don't know what I was doing. It was kind of a beehive or it was just, yeah. Did you do the brown makeup thing, the sort of nude dead tones makeup 
I've always loved blusher. As soon as I let go of fake tan, I picked up blush and there was no interim dead period. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So when you start hosting what to wear, suddenly you went from someone who was, you know, doing this job where you were gradually gaining a profile, as it were, to being quite a public person. Mm-hmm. How was that shift for you? I think when you become a more public person, you're in your 30s. It's very different becoming a public person when you're younger because you have your friendship groups, you have the things you do in the evening. You know, you don't build your, a large amount of your life around it. It's like you have your life and then you have your work. And with Susanna and I, we were in our 30s. We had our life, we had our partners, we had our, you know, Susanna had kids, um, we had our friends we'd had for years. So I never, ever went to showbiz parties very much. You know, we'd go out to something for a book signing or we'd go to a premiere because it was a friend. But mm-hmm. I never, for the sake of it, loved the circuit of celebritydom. It's always been something I've kind of hated. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think more that you get recognised in the street and people come up to you, and I've always loved that because I kind of feel they feel they can start a conversation with you and not feel embarrassed to start it anywhere because mm-hmm. there's an element of trust that's been exchanged by how they watch you. I find that even more now than actually um, then. Do you think that's to do with social media because it's so much more accessible? It's so much more intimate. Yeah. Yeah, because I think TV, it's, it's one channel to people and it's a one-way street. Mm-hmm. And social media is one-to-one and it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. So there's so much more intimacy. Did any pressure to always look nice and dress well then when you're out on the streets? Did, did the profile come with that for you? With what not to wear, mm. there was always that pressure and I didn't mind it because I always, like, even if I didn't have that job, I'd always be the kind of person who I like. I wouldn't go to the, I wouldn't go to, to the supermarket in my sweatpants, or mm-hmm. I would, but I'd throw a nice coat over. And I remember once mm-hmm. I just had Lila, and I was in like a dirty sweatpant, mm-hmm. going to get the milk from the door, and the son took a picture, and then they put it on the front of the newspaper. And it was like, really, you got bad stuff too. <laughs> but I just thought, oh god, you know, just so funny that that should be the moment. But I did. Um, you know, there was a lot of, oh my God, look what Trini's wearing and she does that programme. You know, so there was obviously, you're in the public domain for people mm-hmm. to do that. We've got somebody hooting a horn outside, some mm-hmm. disgruntled driver. But there's always that tendency then, you put yourself on a platform yeah. and people will, will do it. And Susanna and I would deal with it differently. So Susanna used to get the country at the weekend mm-hmm. and she never, you know, she always didn't want to care. Susanna, the, uh, the, the idea of dressing up to do things was her anathema. When I said to her, we have to get you some new clothes for, a, we're doing a show now abroad. And she's like, oh, do we have to, you know, cause she's like, so doesn't care as much. She cares about many things, but she's like, oh, do I have to kind of? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I remember once I'm in Topshop getting clothes for the show, for, for our column and standing in the queue and it's a Friday and it's usually a day Susanna wouldn't be working and I just get off and I see her you know, so I call her up and I go oh, darling where are you she goes, oh I'm just out and about just out and about just taking Archie for a walk and I went Susanna really she went, yeah yeah I said no you're not you're in Wellington boots literally with straw coming out of your hair in a queue at Topshop and about 20 people are looking at you <laughs> But also that's quite nice because you're representing different sides of the coin for people. We, yeah, we are, totally. You ended up writing 11 books. So, so I mean, you were everywhere. You did Oprah. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you're, at that point, you're working on a career where it's part of your nature. So to some extent, you've been studying and in apprenticeship your whole life because you're you know, working with your friends. But at the same time, there's no qualification, as it were, to do a job like that. No. So did you have any sense of imposter syndrome? I think... 
When I was in my 20s, I did, you know, when I was doing all those different jobs in marketing and I was not having not gone to university and not feeling I had a qualification and, mm-hmm. and making it up as I went along. That's where you most get that. And I was also, you know, partying too much, went to rehab, all those kind of things which are very prevalent when you have an addiction. It's, you, you kind of live and breathe in a positive syndrome. Um, so getting clean and then starting again, I kind of had a conscious decision that I wanted to build a sort of a career on bricks, not on quicksand. So I think in my early 30s, I had that real sense that let me do only as much as I know I can do. And even mm-hmm. though Susanna and I, it appeared we sort of went from zero to 50 very quickly, we had sort of two or three years like the Telegraph and then we got, and you know, we did an online business, which was just too early and, and it was two years and then it was dead. Mm-hmm. We did um, a book which didn't do well and then we did BBC, we did a pilot with an idea we had, and then we had a book, and, and then that thing. So, so it sort of happened at a pace. It wasn't tremendously quick. Did you have mental health strategies in place then, even if you weren't calling them that, and things that have carried you through and made you feel kind of quite safe that you've got somewhere to go? I think earlier on, I, going to meetings mm-hmm. was really good for me. I went every single day for many, many mm-hmm. years. I think having at the times when I needed it, somebody to talk to has been really important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've had certain times in my life where I've needed that. So I've found somebody who would be really good to talk to, and then I've had to talk to them. It might have been for three months. It might have been for two years. Mm-hmm. I don't believe for myself that I want to be in therapy every week going to talk to somebody. That's kind of not me as a person Mm -hmm. so when I was trying to conceive Lila and I had many miscarriages and I did a lot of IVF and it was a very you know I kind of was in that hovering between it's never going to happen but I'm never going to give up place Mm -hmm. I did talk to somebody occasionally and just to kind of have somebody else talk to about that having to live in that space and Mm -hmm. then you know Susanna would have a baby and then she'd have another baby and then we were pregnant together and I lost it when we were pregnant together so I never ever felt Oh, she's getting pregnant, not me. I can't because I because I've never been somebody who has been jealous as a person. Okay. I don't like jealousy. That's probably not bode me well. Sometimes jealousy, jealousy can be quite healthy. You know, you can be jealous over your man, but I just haven't had that. It's just not a component of me. So, mm. with Susanna. I could feel other things, like I would say, it's 8.30, why aren't you here? When we were doing our online business, she'd say, because I'm breastfeeding my two-month-old baby, mm-hmm. you know, so I can breastfeed just to come. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have that. So when she was having her kids, I was so excited she was having her kids, and but I just thought, well, I just don't know if I'm ever going to. And when you were doing IVF and when you were then pregnant and stuff, how did your relationship with your body feel at that point and your sort of connection to, I suppose your sense of being a woman because it's quite challenging if you're trying to get pregnant mm-hmm. and maybe not and then and then you have all the changes that come about with pregnancy did that all affect you? I think there's a lot of changes that come out when you're taking a lot of hormonal drugs and I wasn't so aware probably Johnny my husband was very aware because he'll be like you know you're really being mad today but I you know you look back it's like once you give birth but you look back once you have a child you think oh it's easy to have you have it wasn't actually probably you know doing the injections yeah. every day you know, going, waiting till you were day 13, going to check if you were, you know, if it was a positive result, you know, Mm. all that does put a pressure on a couple. Mm. And it was, you know, I think for me, probably, I was up and down with those hormones and you take something called gonal F and it really does. It's like one is a suppressant, one is is making you have more eggs, you know, they're, they're really changing out your body a lot. So 
that affected me a lot more mm-hmm. um, than I probably remember when I look back. And when you'd given birth and your body suddenly had done this incredible thing, yeah. did you have that sense of, oh, this is just glorious and, and I don't mind that it's changed, I don't mind that my body's completely different? Because having spoken to a lot of people about this people tend to go one way or the other and they either feel like they've suddenly been given an alien body or they're completely delighted and in love with what it's done it's memory doesn't serve me well all I do remember is I was nine stone and I went to twelve stone so I put on four stone mm-hmm. which is a lot and I'm tall so I could take it but I remember you know I'd get trousers made because I couldn't find them <laughs> I remember I'd always wore coats mm-hmm. and then I got very very heavy legs so I got very heavy ankles and things so when I had Lila I don't remember how long it took me to lose the weight I think I probably went to nine and a half stone I don't think I ever went back to my previous weight before um, and I think I just I don't remember thinking it's taking so long to um go back down and I don't remember making conscious effort I don't remember thinking I'll exercise after a month or two months I think four months later I wasn't but I went back to work after two weeks that's the thing so I went back to work I think probably too early but when you work for yourself and you have things set in so Susanna and I I remember I did Parkinson a week before Lila was born I did Graham Norton two weeks after she was born so I just remember that kind of what okay yeah I remember that kind of what the fuck am I going to wear for both of those? There was that moment of waddling in both those occasions, you know, and and I think Graham said, when is the baby due? And I said, actually, just the baby, you know, that classic moment. So I have had um, probably times, but then I went to America to do a pilot, and I remember I brought Lila and I was breastfeeding her, and we were living in this house, and we were doing this thing, like, from Ladette to Lady with, like, these 10 girls from South Central LA living in the house with us. It was like, I had this precious little baby, you know, that I was breastfeeding. And so I think I went back to work really quickly, and I think probably I just was caught up in my work, and I just found clothes that fit, and, you know, then as I changed size, back slowly down. 
Let's move forward to now. So you launched Trini London 2017. Yeah. Now, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, there wasn't that much in the beauty market. I mean, it was the big names and then mm. you could kind of go in. But now there are so many brands. So what made you think, I've got something that's different and I'm going to take a punt on this really, really saturated industry? Because I think I heard 3,000 women in my head talking to me about their experience with things and my own. So I kind of knew that, you know, you go up to a beauty counter and there's so much choice you wouldn't know what to choose. I had been anyway for about five years before I launched Trinity London, compartmentalising all my makeup, mixing skincare with makeup to make a foundation that was a nice consistency. I'd mix like five or six different things, mm-hmm. put them in sort of Muji pots, make the stack. You know, I, I went to see, I went to launch in Australia, um, Trini London, a couple of months ago. Ray Morris is a lovely makeup artist. And I said, I, you know, I was doing an interview in front of her and I said, I, I know I've been talking about it for about five or six years. Said, Trini, I remember 10 years ago you bring that fucking step to me and saying, you know, so it, it, I always had it. And I would yeah. go around in bathrooms and, you know, when we say, what's that? And I'll say, it's my makeup bag. And they'll go, where can I buy it? And I was thinking one day, you know, that one day feeling when mm. you're a potential entrepreneur. And I, so I, I kind of knew that, with all the shows that we did, not so much what not to wear, but afterwards we went abroad and we did um, 13 or 14 series around 16 locations, you know, in eight countries or something. So every woman had similar things. You know, they go there and they think, do I want to be made over by that person who's not wearing makeup that I would like to wear? I go outside, my face is orange. What goes with what? You know, there's a lot of like, you must get this also in beauty. What layering order shall I do? You know, there are commonly asked questions. And I just thought... There's either the sort of Estee Lauders and the Bobbies, or there's Tilbury who just launched, um, Glossier who just launched, um, or there's kind of number seven stalwarts. But like, what is there there that's premium, that's incredibly convenient? So I knew very early on that I wanted this kind of thing. I wanted it to be really portable because life is mm-hmm. about going from one place to another. So from the gym to home to in the car, having your stack. I wanted it to be everywhere with you. I didn't want to feel, I always changed my handbag about my, what makeup I carry. I didn't want to have that problem anymore. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be a beautiful stack, which took 11 prototypes to get. I mean, it took forever to get that clackable, you know, clickable, snappable pots that are four-part pots that are airtight, that click. Mm-hmm. That make that lovely click noise and all that stuff um, and I wanted it to be personalised mm-hmm. so I spent a while developing every component doing all the development of the formulas then working on the colours and still thinking what I sell in retail and then I started to get all these women in the bathroom and I was making them over with the makeup artists that I work with and um, just thinking, okay, what's their skin, hair, and eye, and what makeup are we putting on them, and then looking at the 50 SKUs we had and thinking, what products did we use to put them on? And then thinking to myself, I want this to be online, and I want us to come up with a way that we can match people with their makeup. Because I think it doesn't matter then. You can take a woman who's used to buying in store but makes mistakes to thinking, this could maybe convert me to buying online, mm-hmm. and, you know, I might do it. So, So I, you know took a long time to think of all the elements of the business that took about three years and then raising the money took a while too what was the greatest challenge then because it's it's hard i think the greatest challenge was i had early i had one woman who was working beauty at mintel she ran the global head of beauty and she i told her the idea and she'd gone to her little database she came back i hate trends but she said Trini, five of the six trends for the next five years you've got it's personalization queen base portability less makeup is more you got all the trends i'll invest and she put in the first hundred thousand and then my daughter's godfather put in fifty thousand so with that i then did the formulas did the colors started Mm -hmm. to look at the packaging 
And then at the same time, all my other work had dried up. You know, I wasn't doing telly anymore. And like, it was choice, but also, you know, it would have been like I'd have to have stopped doing that to do telly. To, and I had a huge mortgage. I had a house that was too big for me. Um, Johnny's father, Lila's father died. You know, 101 things happened. And I kind of had this moment when um, at the uh, memorial, very nice couple said to me, Trini, is this the time you should be trying to do this? Isn't this the time where you should be giving stability to Lila and you need to pay the mortgage, you need to downsize your house, you need to do all this stuff. Do you want the added burden of trying to start a business? Which was totally from a heartfelt place. But so I remember going to you know, sleep that night and thinking, first of all, I don't know what other job I could do. Really, I'm not quite qualified. Imposter syndrome coming, rearing its ugly head in, in enormity. Mm. But also, this is the thing I feel the most passionate about I felt in my entire life. And if I didn't do it, I would always regret it. Mm. So I called them up the next day and I said, look, I have decided it's what I'm going to do. So thank you so much for being concerned and, and stuff. And they had offered financially even help because I, was, I had no income at that time. So mm. then... In the end, I decided to sell because the money I had um, raised, then I'd spent on all that. So I sold a lot of my clothes and I raised Mm 80,000 pounds. And that then for the next 18 months allowed me to then grow the business to the extent, then get on board, mark my COO, rewrite the business model from retail to online, go to see other investors, get that first round of proper investment and then launch business. So that was the hardest time. Yeah. yeah. But it's really great to hear you talking about money in such an open way because I think there's this misconception that if you're in the public eye and you've got a profile that you're just loaded, right? Like you don't need to worry ever about money yeah, and that's kind of what people think. Can I ask you to name your top five Trini products? Top five Trini products? Oh! For you, for you. Okay, for me. Well, yeah. I will literally, I mean, I'll get out now. Yes. Very nice. We must encourage people to buy the Elizabeth bags. 15% goes to Girls for Change. Nice colour as well. Um, so... In here, it's funny because I, when I do my stacking, I sometimes put more than one thing in my pots because I'm going to be doing something soon. Which what do you mean you put more than one thing well, in your so pots? Well, so in here, I've got yeah. three things. I've got a new thing I'm developing. Okay. I've got my Just a Touch and I've got my BFF. Oh, okay. So you've literally mixed it together. Okay, fine. No, but they're three separate things. Three separate I know things. where I put my things together. Interesting. So okay. um, BFF is my number one. Mm-hmm. My number two is a product we're launching in July, which is just, to me, it's like the most exciting skincare product with something that's going to come out from any range ever um, for excited. anyone by the way just quickly who doesn't know BFF I would really encourage you to go and buy it not only because I love it but all the men I know love it yes I know it's men really good love it because it's love like it. it gives your face this instant kind of it takes a bit of redness a tiny bit of cover but you don't see I hate seeing foundation on a woman's skin but I know a woman wants a skin to look flawless and it's how can we achieve that that's yeah. like my nirvana yeah. that's why July yeah. is so exciting yeah. okay um, so so BFF is my is my top one this mystery one is my second one um, I would say I've got three more <gasps> I would say <laughs> lip to cheek because I am somebody where I like multi-use products in a particular colour uh, probably maybe VB mm-hmm. um, because I'll put it on my eye as well. So I'll do eye, lip and cheek. So you could literally be wearing, even though you've got Queen on now a bit, mm-hmm. have you mm-hmm. got a bit of Queen on? Have you got Queen yeah, on? Yeah, I have got Queen I was on. thinking that, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I can use that everywhere. Yeah. And then probably Sheer Shimmer mm-hmm. in Maiko or Dido or Emily. Mm-hmm. Emily is more plummy. Dido is a lovely soft pink. And Maiko okay. is that slightly sort of like a... Bellini Laura Mercier colour but not so orangey and you do it all with your fingers do you have a technique that you love for getting it onto your skin 
For BFF, I use it exactly like a moisturiser, and I literally, I, I believe so strongly about fingers and makeup because I think a brush gives us a distance from our face. You know, it, it stops us really making the makeup and our skin one thing. And so I like to do that a lot, and I will spend a long time doing that with somebody's skin. Mm. We developed the tea kit, which is our little brush kit for moments when I'm in a cab, and I don't want my finger to be, you know, it's been coronavirus now, you'd kind of think. But I just, I want to be doing my lip, or I want to be doing an eyeliner, mm. things like that. But otherwise, I we use my fingers for everything, and mm. I just think the finish, so much better. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I use them with my fingers. Finger finger. Yeah, yeah, I love it. You're 56 now. Yeah. There is still that ageism around. Do you, does that scare you? Do you feel like you're up against something? No, nothing. Really? Absolutely nothing. There's a joy about turning 50, which is you kind of don't give a shit. I really don't give a shit. And the only time where I was aware of... Like, I... Every day, I'll think... We had this conversation before we were going live, but um, about what motivates you to dress, and you'd said, you know, you're motivated by... Yes, my mood. My, your mood, which mm. I love. And I... Um, you know, I feel what inspires me to dress today. So in the day, I choose my outfit and then I'll choose my makeup. Mm-hmm. And in the evening, I'll choose my makeup because my face will have been quite tired. So I'll do the makeup to make my face best and then I'll choose what I wear. That's exactly what I do. Oh, it is. <laughs> quite genuinely, that's exactly what I do. Yeah. But I yeah. just only realised that a little while ago because somebody mm-hmm. asked me the question. But mm-hmm. I think that if you look about what clothes give you joy, then you never think, oh, can I get away with this anymore? Mm-hmm. Because I don't... I love it that I can wear something and people say, oh, it really inspires me to wear something else. And there are some days I'll wear something and somebody say, oh, no, Trini, I couldn't do that. Mm. And I'll think, that's fine, you couldn't do it, but I, I feel good to do it. What do you think, though, lots of people would say that they are victims of ageism and that people sort of go, oh, you know, back and dressed as lamb or blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. What would your advice to those people be? I think that there can be a way that one can dress or do things that will give the opportunity for people to say that to you. And there's things you can avoid that they'll never say it to you. So I would say one of the biggest things, and probably why I went to makeup, is that your makeup can age you and define the decade in which you felt your most beautiful. So a woman who in the 80s first learned to do makeup and did that pan down, paled out face with the bronzer and the black eyeliner mm-hmm. and the, you know, what, which was the matte lip, lip pencil, um, Spice. Spice, yeah. Um, yeah. Or not filled in uh, well then you'll see her I'll mm. see that woman and I'll know that she has lost her confidence since the 80s and she's stuck with a makeup look that makes her feel good so taking away that protective thing is sort of the hardest thing to do but once you kind of say look you can make yourself ageless by giving yourself a glowing skin giving yourself that energy from within that your skin your dermis is showing off in your skincare routine do that begin that process of exfoliation if you've never do it consider an acid look at a retinol you know protect your face from the sun wear a white trainer with everything you know you will look ageless suddenly Mm. and then you will not be judged by decades in which you felt your happiest make this the happiest decade If I were to ask you now, in let's say over a two-month period, what you do to look after yourself, so whether you go where you go and have your hair done, and mm-hmm. what you do, facials, maybe a bit of fitness, what does yeah. what does your calendar look like? So Natalie is a lovely trainer. She'll come between one and three times a week. If I'm travelling a lot, she'll come once a week or not for a few weeks, and then she'll come. And I do it at home at about seven, and I get it done. And we do some videos together sometimes, so she's great. 
I used to do Pilates literally every day for five years, but I don't anymore because I haven't got the time mm-hmm. or I don't make the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I do meditation. I listen to maybe every two weeks or if I'm having a stress time, I might do it more often. Mm-hmm. Might just do it for 10 minutes, might do it for a bit longer. Um, I get my hair colored probably every two weeks because I, my hair grows very quickly and I have very gray hair mm-hmm. and I don't suit the gray it is. I'd Where have to do you spend have a lot done? of money to get mm. good gray. I have Shannon at Nicole Clark. Nicole Clark. I love she's, Shannon. She's great. She did me this morning because I went and did a home job on myself right. because I suddenly felt a bit brassy for somebody else had done me yeah. and I went red and I called up Shannon. <laughs> she saw me at eight o'clock this morning. <laughs> Fucking red. <excuse laughs> I'm so sorry, but when you don't like orange hair and it goes orange, you're yeah, like... Yeah. I've been there. Because I called out the receptionist and I said, my hair's gone orange. So Shan said to the receptionist, I bet it hasn't gone orange, but I'll still see her at eight. And I came in and she went, it really has gone orange. (laughs) So yeah, so I see her. I get Greg who does my blow dries. He comes once a week Mm -hmm. or twice a week. And then Mm -hmm. I do my email, blow dry and a mask all at the same time at seven in the morning. And it's done. So I'm done. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I like to get things out of the way. What about supplements? Supplements I take. I'm We're sitting across in now. Yeah, this looks too. So I take, I can tell you, for menopausal support, yeah. I take um, Neuromag, I take Sage Complex from Victoria Health, I take a phenomenal one, Magnolia Rhodiolite, mm-hmm. which is kind of for mood. For hair, I take Superior Hair, I take Biotin, and I take Iconocell. I take mm-hmm. a lot of liposomal supplements. Mm-hmm. So I'll do the vitamin C liposomally. I think it just has a much better penetration, and it, it stays, you know, it absorbs much more. Mm-hmm. I'll do a glutamine alpha. I'll do, I'm doing at the moment a tremendous amount, because I'm eating too much sugar, mm-hmm. of turmeric with curcumin, because that, I have, tr- I have really bad inflammation on my body. When you say you're eating a tremendous amount of sugar, is, um, is this a compulsion? Are you someone who just can't stay off the chocolate? chocolate? You know, I want to have the vanilla yeah. cappuccino, I want to have the croissant in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the bane of Natalie, we say, just do this, and I'm like, Natalie, I'm not you, I don't live, you know, I live by sugar. If you had to whittle down your product stash... Trini aside, makeup mm. entirely aside, but to ten things: perfume, skincare, body care. What would you have? I'd definitely have a smell, okay. and it could be I make the smell Santa Maria Novella's potpourri, and I'd have it just in my house everywhere because it's in my cupboards, and then all my clothes will smell of it. I just love it. It's a clean, fresh, wake-up smell. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's what a smell should do for me. I would have. I might have Evolve gel balm cleanser. Because I just love the texture. It's a really interesting kind of gel, turns a bit milky, a foreo. Because mm-hmm. I just so believe in exfoliation. If you're not going to give me an exfoliator, so I use that for massaging my face with everything, and especially with the Evolve. Biologic Recharge P50. Or, no, I would do that. Um, probably I would do Julia Hunter's um, Night Regeneration with Vitamin A, mm-hmm. which is like the best, best, best ever. Um, vitamin A, retinol, you'll get as a combination where you don't peel. I use Amora Light Body Lotion. It's mm-hmm. the only thing that stops my skin feeling dry. Just that continuous, like, acid thing. Micro needle, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and some kind of tool, like either the Face Gym Pro or the New Face, just for that daily stimulation on my skin to mm-hmm. lift and lift. Mm-hmm. And then I do religiously every day, I do facial exercises, okay. which I'll do as I'm brushing my teeth or you know as I'm doing five butt crunches in the mirror mm-hmm. you've got one more space I've got more space <laughs> no I don't know I don't know I'd probably have a really luxurious fabulous no vitamin C what am I talking about okay. SPF SPF I haven't included vitamin C and SPF so I'll do Heliocare SPF but I've got my BFF SPF so that's alright so you've already got 30, that yeah. yeah so I'd probably do um, 
I might do Allies of Skin, 35% vitamin C with collagen because it is the highest grade vitamin C I've ever tried. Or DCL vitamin C night sea skin. Very skin carry. You didn't say any bath stuff. There's one scent. It was very bath skin care. I don't have baths. Oh, yeah. never. No. Just a shower. Yeah. Okay. I'd love to have baths, but we don't really have a bath I can use in the house. There's like this huge thing in the bathroom which is never used. You live in London. Um, if you were taking someone around London for a day, mm-hmm. where would you take them? What restaurants do you love? What places do you love? I'm a creature of habit. Mm-hmm. I'll take them to Colbert mm-hmm. or Scott's. It's two restaurants I go to mainly. Or mm. the Wolseley. I like the Wolseley because there's a sense of life. Then you can pop across the Royal Academy and see a show. Yeah. Um, so I'd probably see a show there, have lunch at the Wolseley. Definitely I'd walk. So I would walk... Um, through Kensington Park, Kensington mm-hmm. Gardens, and then I'd take Virgin Limo Bike, what used to be called Virgin Limo, it's called Limo Bike London, with the friend, and I'd give them a tour of London on the back of a motorbike, because then you look at everything, mm-hmm. and we'd talk to each other through things, and we'd just look at everything and have, you know, nice. look at the nose under Abbotty Arch, which is cut into the arch, just see yeah. things you wouldn't normally Probably see. Probably enjoy London. Yeah. Yeah. So much without having to buy a ticket. I'm going to finish by asking you the three questions that I ask all my guests. Yep. First one being, what to your mind has been your greatest triumph, career or personal? I'd say Launch and Training London. We were cited in a business magazine of being number 42 in the highest growing companies in the UK this year. That's incredible. So that was kind of, that was great. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that. One piece of advice you'd give your younger self and what age would you return to to talk to that younger self? Um, you don't know what's behind the closed door. Name three people, dead or alive, you'd have at a dinner party assuming the people you already love are there. Amelia Earhart, because she was a pioneer in her time, mm. because she liked her own company, and I sometimes like my own company, because she was fearless, mm. and because she, you know, wanted to put her makeup on before she got on the bloody plane. I love that. Um, so I think she was inspiring. Uh, Diana Vreeland, mm-hmm. because she just, like, I used to have a little quote that I was looking for the other day and I couldn't find it, and that she had this thing about never giving up mm-hmm. but I just liked it um, and she had lots of faddish quotes but I found her a woman of unbelievably tremendous style who wasn't classically beautiful but it made her more beautiful mm-hmm. and I loved her way she used accessories and I kind of like that Iris Apfel and Diane Vreen are put in the same thing I kind yeah. of I'd like to have Iris Apfel actually for dinner mm-hmm. she'd just be so fucking she'd be so funny <laughs> And, you know, that kind of New York Jewish humour coupled with incredible style. Yeah. Just, like, everything about it. So, great women. Yeah, great women. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Don't care about the men. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 